Hi everyone and welcome back to the abstract presented to you by the Western Student Research Conference. Now we have an exciting news for everyone and that is that we have a research expo that is happening on September 19th. Our presenter applications are now live and can be found in the description below so make sure to fill those out before August 31st by midnight to have a chance to present at our research expo. And as always, research from any disciplines are able to apply. In this episode, we have an amazing discussion with Dr. Demetrios Karbanis, who is an academic medical doctor, but not only that, he's also the host of the podcast Medic Philosopher. Now, he started getting into research during high school in Greece, and then he moved to Oxford to pursue med school. So from being a student researcher for so long, he gives us an idea of how to have that really good growth mindset and how to really persevere when doing research. So if you want to learn more about this mindset, or if you even want to learn a bit more about philosophy, then please keep listening. My name is Janica, and I am the creative lead for The Abstract. My name is uh, Lev, and I am, uh, I'm co-chair of this year's conference. And my name is Ashita, and I'm also the chair for the conference alongside Lev. And here with us today, let me just introduce the guest that we have, who is not from Canada at all. Uh, let me introduce Dr. Karpanis, who is a graduate from the Imperial College in London with a medical degree and a BSc in pharmacology. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, I think we, we we do have something in common. I also studied in London, but I think it's a different London, a thousand miles away. But <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with us today. So getting into the first question, um, kind of breaking the Canadian ice. If you could be an animal, what animal would you be? Ooh, I, I haven't thought about that. Um, it can't be know. human. It can be anything other than human. Anything other than human. Ooh. See, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit biased right now. Um, I was I was reading this um, sort of Eastern philosophy book lately, and I'm very biased to say a dragon. So the reason why I chose a dragon is, I don't know if it counts. If it doesn't count, I can say a bear, uh, which is basically hairy and very lovely. But anyway, I think I've committed to dragon now. The reason I'm going to say dragon is because, like, a dragon is pretty intangible, so to speak. And, like, uh, th there's this quote by Confucius who said, like, you know, fish are nice, but, you know, they, they get called by the fishermen. You know, animals, uh, other animals, like wild animals, get called by hunters. Birds fly, but, you know, you can shoot them. But the dragon is so intangible. And, I mean, you can never understand the dragon, yet everyone respects a dragon so i don't know there's something cool with being a dragon that being said i don't think dragons exist that was that was a very very original idea as well so i think we're gonna have to count that one just because it's just because it's very original so we're gonna work that that that, that was a very good one um diving in a little bit about yourself um are you able to talk a little bit more about your interests you know, uh, your research, uh, just explain a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, I was um, originally born in Greece and then I went in high school there. I completed the international baccalaureate and then applied to and got into um, London, UK to study medical school there. So the reason why I wanted to go 
in the UK in the first place at Imperial Colleges because they have a strong research background. So I wanted to get involved early on, as early as possible with um, medical research, just to see whether, you know, this is for me and uh, whether this is something I want to do in the long run. So I took an approach, I, I don't know if this is the right approach to take, but I think it kind of worked for me. So instead of going with one lab and, you know, staying with that lab for a long period of time and producing work, which is sort of the orthodox way to do it, which is obviously good because you um, can produce papers, you know, you get someone that knows you, people who know you well, so you develop good friends, colleagues, people you can ask recommendation letters for, and you're actually good at something. I didn't do that. I sort of went here and there. So I tried a few different labs, all for a short period of time to begin with, just to see what I like. So I remember as a first year, the easiest thing for me was, you know, to, to get involved into something that I had, I had a connection with. So I was fortunate because I wanted to do immunology. I was fortunate that my personal tutor worked with neutrophils. At this stage, obviously, I had no idea if I wanted to do T-cell work, neutrophil work, but, you know, it was immunology. So I gladly took on that opportunity. And uh, that was my first project. And I worked on something really cool, which is called neutrophil extracellular traps, nets, basically. So they look like... I don't know, I guess, like like Spider-Man, basically neutro a neutrophil effector mechanism in which they sort of splurge out DNA and uh, other proteins to trap uh, and contain pathogens, um, which is really cool. So I was, I was trying to look into that. And because it was my first research project um, in a foreign country, it was a little bit, uh, I felt a little bit overwhelmed I had a lot of support, so I was lucky. Um, I had a great personal tutor and a great PhD um, student uh, without whom I would be completely lost. And at the end, we, we got something out of it and I managed to have a poster. So I remember that very vividly. Um, and other than that, I've had a few uh, experiences here and there. So so yeah, that, that neutrophil project was sort of my first kind of big project where I did have some responsibility but at the same time I was learning so I was a, a summer research student so it was kind of a landmark for me because it sort of started my interest in in the world of research and uh, that's not to say I uh, wasn't fortunate enough to try something before but it was the first time I actually had three months to devote into a project. Um, actually when I was uh, doing my IB, my international baccalaureate, I was fortunate to come for a few weeks in uh, in Minnesota, in the US, to do a project on anesthesia. But that wasn't as much hands-on. I, I only had a month there, and obviously it's very difficult to do research in a month. So I, I, I'm going to say that so far, um, trying a lot of different experiences, you know, a bit of anesthesia, a bit of immunology, later on a bit of dermatology, a bit of surgery, it's worked very well for me because now you've, you get experience from all these fields and you know what you want to go into in the future. I may not have like a big paper in a big um, impact factor journal in the specialty that I want to follow, but I think, you know, you, you're only an undergraduate student once and uh, I think you have to take that opportunity because once you graduate, they will treat you differently 
whereas as a student, you know, you, you, you're, you're learning, so you've got more leeway to experiment with things and make mistakes. So now's the time to, to try things out. Yes, definitely. I'm an IB alumni as well, so we have that in common. How did you find the IB? I found it that it was it was a very good program because it allowed me to, you know, sort of go through pathways which I wouldn't have before. So in that sense, I thought it was it was a great opportunity to sort of you know reflect on on what my interests were, as well as exploring new opportunities. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it was the same experience for me and it, it was very different from the Greek ed- educational system. I don't know how the um, educational system in Canada is, but our system is not very student or research driven, whereas in the IB you're expected to do a lot of individual work and you know go out of your way to see, to sort of challenge yourself. So. I think that was that was a good start, and I, I I can say that it was it sort of prepared me for what was to follow. So um, I wasn't thrown out in the deep straight away when you know at 18 years old I moved to a new country and uh, went into medicine. So it was it was a good choice, the IB. I totally agree. It allowed us to you know face those challenges prior to undergrad. So that was a good a good advantage of the program. On that kind of what you were talking about, what made you interested in pursuing medicine and ultimately research in medicine? You mean in, in, in what field? Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. So towards the end of medical school, I got involved in a in a surgical robot project, which was, which was in Japan. So there was a lot of a, a wow factor into that. I, I absolutely loved the culture. I loved the people. Um, so I didn't think much of the project at the time, but now I always go back to the project and uh, think how cool it was to work with a surgical robot. So I think I would like to do surgery. That being said, um, I've watched uh, quite a few of orthopedic surgery recently because that was number one on my list. Um, and I was, you know, I was contemplating, is it going to be orthopedics? But then I kind of want to have a balance in my life. Um, so I think it's it's important. You need to find a balance and do something you like as well. And although I do love orthopedics, I feel that sometimes, especially in the UK, and I'm pretty sure in the, in the US and Canada as well, probably, it's uh, it's quite a relentless career uh, as, a, as a specialist, uh, certainly as a specializing resident, but probably as a specialist as well. Long hours, away from family. So at this moment, I'm, I'm contemplating. I've started my first job. It's in dermatology. It's a lot different, um, but I'm loving dermatology at the moment. So if the, it's two things, it's either going to be dermatology or orthopedic surgery. And within dermatology, hopefully something surgical, like micrographic surgery or, you know, excision of skin tumors, that kind of stuff. Perfect. Um, you mentioned how about the obstacles with, you know, research and everything. So what what would you say is your driving force of your research? It's it's difficult as a student uh, because you, you often feel that, you know, why would they take me on? There's postdocs, there's research assistants. What do I have to offer them as a student? But, you know, I think this is, this is like a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because as a student... Um, 
you think a lot different than someone who's graduated or who's working is not that they're wiser than students. It's that they're more aware of like the limitations and they have different expectations, as I said before. So I remember, you know, as a, as a high school student, I had some very nice ideas and uh, um, they all looked so cool. And I wanted to go into research to, to, to investigate them and see if they work. But as you, you do research project after research project, uh, you, you find out that, you know, actually most of these things have in part been done before or difficult to do, or they don't work because of that specific mechanism in biology, which your senior tells you about and you had no idea. So I feel as students, you do have things to add because you see the world with a fresh pair of eyes in a whole different way than a principal investigator sees the world. Um, and you certainly have more time because they're after grants, they are after obligations with the research team. So I think um, it's it's great to be to be a student. Um, that being said, I don't know how it's in how the situation is in in Canada and in the states. But when you apply for future jobs, they do look at publications. So unfortunately, in the UK, there's a drive for medical students to publish. And many medical students try and publish early, and that that can be anything. That can be, you know, work that's um, in part just a, a literature review, um, unoriginal work, so to speak. Work that has been done quickly as a, as a number of students, as a letter, as a correspondence. You know, anything to get your name on PubMed. Essentially, creating a wave of of bad science and. People do it because you, you have to play the game. You have to tick the boxes. So I think it's important to have a driving force, a driving factor when you're deciding why you want to do research. And I think you have to enjoy it. It has to be something you like. So you, I can't go and do research in, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say a specific area of medicine. I'm, I don't want to do, but you know, something unrelated because I'm not going to be as keen. It, it wouldn't make much sense. So I think, a driving force is one, you have to like something. Two, you have to be curious for an answer, either it being, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or another sort of arthritis that so many people have problem with and there's no definitive cure uh, and you want to find that cure or you want to find the exact trigger that switches on the rheumatoid arthritis switch in your system and you get it, um, if there is one, <laughs> which is probably more, much more complicated than that. So, so yeah, a, a passion for, for subject, curiosity. Um, and finally, the third thing I'd say is um, perseverance. I say, put yourself in the shoes of others. And there's probably a lot more people in the world who actually want to answer the same questions as you guys. And you guys are very lucky to be, you know, in Western U or another university studying medicine, medical sciences or something related. And you actually have the chance to answer those questions i don't want you to feel an obligation to do so because that can put you off but just see it as an opportunity and sort of appreciate the time that you're there that's that's how i thought of myself you know i'm i'm here at imperial for six years many people would have liked to do to be doing medicine and answer those questions i shouldn't slack off i should work hard and you know if if it doesn't lead me anywhere at least i won't have any regrets and uh, i would have tried my best Jonica mentioned um, the things that you guys have in common, which is I'd be, uh, I completely forgot. Uh, 
Where where are you from in Greece? I don't know if we ever talked about this. <laughs> I'm I'm not very exciting place. Um, the north Thessaloniki. Uh, okay, okay. I've 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 been all over Greece, um, and I must say it's probably like the best country to go to. <laughs> um, I'm a I'm a huge history nerd, so. Um, when i was young that was uh it was it was an absolutely unreal place for me to for me to visit so um another thing that we have in common is all of us here like podcasts because you have a podcast of your own hey. um i mean obviously we were going to ask about this um we're really curious um why is it important to understand philosophy why is it important to have like good grasp of like the basic topics of philosophy um Yeah, if you could just dive into that. Yeah, my, my podcast is sort of different. I'm kind of uh, doing it, you know, out of interest and as a learning educational opportunity for me because in Greece, unfortunately, we don't get taught that much about philosophy. And it's a pity because I feel we should be learning at least some basic stuff about philosophy in school because many... Many great philosophers come from Greece, so I feel it's a bit, uh, you know, it's it's us. We should be, we should be being taught about our roots. But also, I think it helps us. It helps us a lot in our daily lives. So this is why I created this podcast, um, and you can check it out, guys. It's called the Medic Philosopher. Nothing to do with medicine. I mean, I, I draw some parallels and use some examples of my daily life with patients. I just subscribed. So, oh, just thank so you, you have a, just proof, <laughs> it's documented, I'm on the record. <laughs> so yeah, I, I got it on the Spotify like a couple of days ago. Um, and it's basically the aim of this is in under 10 minutes to, you know, talk about a philosophical principle, a school of thought, an idea or a thought experiment, uh, as philosophers often like to think of the world. And, you know, in just 10 minutes for people to listen to it on the way when they go to the supermarket, because one, a 45 minute podcast is a bit long. And I understand you would prefer to probably listen to other podcasters who have better voice, better sound and better topics. Two, I don't think I know enough for a 45 minute podcast. And three, um, I think... You know, it's it can get a bit dull when you're talking hours and hours about philosophy. So I thought 10 minutes is probably a sweet spot. Uh, people would engage. And I think, you know, I think it's important to learn a little bit about philosophy because we can not only encourage critical thinking amongst ourselves, but we can be better people. I think we can view the world differently um, just by, you know, learning some stories and how people before us viewed the world, make us appreciate some things that we didn't appreciate, see the world from a different perspective. And the more perspectives we see the world through, I think the more, you know, the more we become, um, the more we, we, we take things easily and the more we, the, the less we care about things we used to care about, so to speak, uh, we shift our focus of, of attention and care. And I think because starting this process, I, I saw this in myself, I became more relaxed, more happy. I thought, you know what, why not share these stories? And 
if I get one or two, three people interested in philosophy, that's a success. If I get many people feeling happier, that's a success. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't really have a specific metric. I just feel that by becoming better people, we influence the world around us to become better as well. I'm just curious, did TOK ever, you know, influence your passion towards philosophy? Ooh. <laughs> Oh, now, now this is, uh, yeah, this, <laughs> this is an opening question for a long story, so I'm going to try and keep it short. In my final year of medical school, I had a GP placement, like family medicine, and uh, I got my absolutely last place, last choice. Um, it's, it's a random system, and I got my last choice just outside of London, uh, in the south coast of England. So, you know, I was a little bit worried where I'm going to stay, what I'm going to do. I've never been there. It's Christmas, so I probably can't swim. And there I was with this guy in, our, in my year I had never met before because we're 300 people in the year. And he's there as well. And uh, we, we stayed in different places because we didn't know. But then obviously we met at the family medicine practice and we talked about it every day and we hanged out. And I had a beard at the time. And he would tell me every time he saw he saw me, hey, Greek philosopher, you remind me of a Greek philosopher. And he he had another he had heard of another philosophy podcast, and he said, you know what, you you should probably start your own. And then I I thought, you know, I didn't take it seriously at the time. But then as time goes by, you look back at the times, the good old times there, and uh, I thought, why not? Let's start it. I mean, worst case scenario, people don't engage with it. That's fine. I I learn about philosophy, which is something I like. So. So that's how it started. So definitely, yeah, the UK, I mean, if I weren't in the UK, who knows if I would, would have started it. I mean, being in Greece, though, or like growing up, that's actually an interesting question. Like, you know, a lot of Greek philosophers in, in you know, ancient history, obviously, there's like, I, and you, you did say that you went through the uh, IB program, but um, do kids in Greece are like, are they very... Are they very engaged in like in like philosophical ideas? Um, anything like? Because here's the thing. So like, I'll, I'll give a little bit of like a background. Like, I had, I, I, I grew up in Russia, and I left at a younger age. So I don't really like. We don't really. We don't. To my knowledge, we don't really do anything as far as philosophy in school. Um, in Canada, in like high school, you can take philosophy as like an elective same as in university but i have a friend who's in spain and he said that again not my words his words but he said that like uh philosophy is mandatory it's a mandatory course that they have to take in, in high school um which i found it to be really really interesting um so like you know growing up in in greece i get again i get it like you went through id but um is that common that kids um you know back in your home country are they very uh, very into philosophy yeah, that's a good question. I think, sadly, not. Um, I think it's it's a situation of you don't get the stimulus from a young age. You don't get it in high school, and probably not many parents talk about it anymore. So it's kind of dying out, I think, and uh, it, it's it's a pity. I think you know if we introduce it at the schools from a young age, it it could be introduced from as early as you know junior high school some fundamental stuff through ancient Greek, which is something we, we do get taught. So we could do some philosophy passages through that 
Um, and I think that would raise interest, but at the moment, um, sadly, sadly not. I, I'm surprised. I didn't know about Spain um, or Russia. I didn't know um, what the situation is, but uh, I think in terms of contemporaries and more contemporary philosophy, I think there's been a lot more contribution by other European countries um, com compared to Greece. So that might be a reason why, you know, you get you, you get philosophy taught in some places. Uh, but I'd be I'd be surprised, you know, if my audience turns out to be Greek, because I don't think many Greeks will engage, sadly. Yeah, I think you're right on like the contemporary aspect of it. But yeah, it, that is sad. That is sad. I, I, I think a lot more kids should get involved in philosophy. I, I, I agree with you there. How should we do it? I don't know. What's the best way to do it? More podcasts. More podcasts. <laughs> more podcasts are where to go. I agree. Uh, oh, adding on to the philosophy of not only your podcast, but in general on your knowledge, how do, how do you think that philosophy integrates into medicine and your own practice and why is that important to, to you? In terms of daily life, I think it helps us, you know, it helps us get, see the world through a different prism, develop critical thinking, and all in all help us understand the, the world around us better in a different way than science would. Um, if that makes sense, that, that that's sort of how I see philosophy. And it's kind of a, a quest for knowledge that's different, that acknowledges acknowledges that, you know, we our, our rationing is limited um, and this is as far as we can go. So we need to see things differently. So I think there's a lot to benefit in life. In medicine specifically, we do get posed with a lot of ethical scenarios in, in medical practice. And unfortunately, I don't think medical ethics is taught enough, uh, especially at, in the UK. I don't know how it is abroad, um, but we didn't get much medical ethics teaching. And sadly, at our department, it's, it's at its infancy. So we had medical ethics lectures from medical specialists, but, you know, in internal medicine and other specialties, there wasn't really a classics department within medicine to teach us which i think is a pity uh, that being said they did a perfect job so we we knew what we had to know but we didn't go beyond that step beyond for those who are interested so we do face decisions in our daily practice that come down to ethics like resource allocation um you know especially now with covid ventilators beds it's becoming difficult End-of-life care is particularly a heavy philosophy slash ethics field when it comes to assisted dying and euthanasia. Is it ever right when it comes to the the doctrine of double effect, you know, giving morphine to a, to a terminally ill patient in extreme pain to help them leave those, you know, last 10 hours of their life better, but by doing so, you actually decrease those 10 hours to eight um, is this accept, uh, is this acceptable? Um, and it extends to medical research as well. Um, as you guys have heard about the Declaration of Helsinki that used to be the declaration on how research should be conducted and how you should treat your subjects in clinical trials. This is very important. I think this was based a lot on 
philosophical principles um, and of course laws. Uh, now this has changed to the good clinical practice um, in Europe, which again is a bit is a bit more lenient, but again has a quite a bit of a philosophical element. So I think philosophy is very important, even when we don't realize it. It's it's is there. It's everywhere. <laughs> And I'm not saying it to listen to my, I'm, I'm not saying this to listen to my podcast, guys. <laughs> I think everyone should should listen to your podcast. Our last question is: What is one takeaway from your research experience that you want undergrads to be more aware of? Thank you, guys. Um, well, what message? What message should I give? I don't want to. You know, I don't want to deter you guys because of COVID now. It's it's obviously very difficult to get involved in research and the landscape is changing. It's not what we used to. I, I wasn't a student with COVID. I just graduated when the when the first wave started. So now it's it's difficult. I say persevere. If you're doing something, try and keep on it. Don't worry if you feel like you, you can't do much because at the moment everything's upside down. Um, I know some areas of research, like maybe clinical genetics or maybe data science or maybe, you know, areas in medicine where research doesn't require physical presence in in a lab with large amounts of people and rather is based on data, IT, maybe artificial intelligence. Those areas are blooming a little bit more. But I say, I'd say when all this is over, try and, you know, get as many experiences as you can say yes say yes to everything as a medical student this is not a good advice when when you start working because you need to you know keep your resources to certain areas you can't do everything but as a medical student just say yes um and see if you do that for a week just say yes to everything like your your life will, will change probably for the better it might change for the worse but if it does you know you've you've tried it it doesn't work out change it if it, if it doesn't work out for you. Now is the time to make mistakes. Now is the time to, you know, get involved in that psychiatry project. You never want to go down the line, uh, in, uh, even if you never go want to go down the line in psychiatry, for example. Uh, and now is the time to present that poster in a conference and mess up the presentation because you will be forgiven and you will learn and you will be a great physician in the future. Um, just have faith in yourself and remember you're not just a medical student you can do a lot of things perfect that's a perfect way to end off end off the podcast episode that was really inspirational yeah that was cool that was awesome yeah that was that was wonderful thank you thanks guys it was it was a pleasure um speaking to you i mean i for, for the purpose of time i didn't really ask much, but I'd, I'd love to keep in touch. So I'm going to bombard you with questions, especially I, I'm curious to find out what animal each one of you would pick. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I didn't want to put you on the spot for the podcast and, you know, because of time and, and stuff. But thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here tonight. And I hope, I hope you know, if this if this podcast motivates one or two people, I'd be, I'd be super happy. Uh, by the way, um, anyone in the audience, if, if you're happy uh if you like the podcast and you'd like to keep in touch or drop me a line about research feel free to contact uh, uh western u conference western src um i've i've given them my email address and i'll try to get back to you um 
just email me and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help. You know, I've been a student. I know it's hard. So I'll, I'll, I'll help you if I can. And we'll link Dr. Karponis's podcast, The Medic Philosopher, down below in the description. So thank you so much for speaking about your experiences. I know that I've learned a lot from you and I'm sure that the viewers will too. So we wish you the best. Thank you guys. I love your podcast. Good luck and uh, hope to see you soon in the future. Thank you. Thank you.